Thanks for listening and subscribing to DIY for Business. It's Russ and Greg with you. Greg, how's it going? It's going well. Russ, how are you doing? Doing all right. Doing all right. We had a little uh, rough start uh, to the podcast here today. Well, you <laughs> know, it kind of goes along. It, it goes along with the last couple of days for me, actually. Does it? Well, it I, does. You know, I've been negotiating with the media companies. You know, we're trying oh, to put together yeah. media campaigns coming up here, and uh, you know, we've had these longtime vendors that we've you know purchased media from for years, like over a decade. Heck, we've had, some and of I've show. developed these relationships, right? And it's mm-hmm. as we've talked about in past shows, where yeah. I have really, really good relationships, good rapport. You know, we're friends. Uh, and it's really helped in negotiations, right? But one of my longtime friends at the media company retired, oh. and now I'm dealing with a new rep. Ah. No rapport. Starting a whole new relationship, starting it from scratch, essentially. And she's not really interested in developing the relationship. There's no- <laughs> There's like, like no rapport going on. So it's just kind of straight negotiation on, you know, our our media buy. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And I'm going to a new company as well where there's no relationship yet. Mm. Now the new company is trying to build a relationship and, you know, we've been talking and stuff like that. So it's going well, but it's been a different type of negotiation for media than I've had in the past years because, yeah. you know, like I said, there, there hasn't as much of a rapport and relationship that yeah. I have. Yeah, it's kind of surprising to hear that there's a change. I, so, you know, for those that are frequent listeners, you know that Greg and I used to work together. Uh, and what, we, we've had the same media reps for like a decade. <laughs> so to hear that even one of them retired is kind of crazy. Uh, yeah. And, and yeah, it totally changes things for you. It, it does. And, you know, it, it really goes to show that building a relationship does help in negotiations. Mm-hmm. Totally. And, you know, we have a guest today that is really uh, teaches how to negotiate, has some fantastic information. And, uh, you know, she's the founder of Shakina Mediation and Arbitration. Alice Shakina, how are you? Hi, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Now, Alice, uh, you know, before we kind of get into negotiation, mediation, arbitration, you have a fascinating background. I mean, you've 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 have a, a road to get to where you're at today. Tell us a little bit about how you got to start your own company. Well, I'm going to tell you the the very short version of it. Um, I actually studied theater. I am an acting major. And so interestingly enough, I use all of that in my negotiation and my mediation, but the road here was not directly from college, right? I um, became a director and I also was doing graphic design to support my, my love of theater. And so I did that for about 13 years. Then I went into the startup world and I spent about five years in the startup world, helping startups get, get off the ground. And about in 2013, I got a part-time job uh, working, and I still have this job, working as um, an area director for an agency for au pairs. And part of that job is mediating between the host Mm. families and the au pairs, Mm -hmm. right? Because au pairs are caregivers that come from different countries, and they live with you. So you can imagine what kind of conflicts might possibly come up 
when there's a language difference, uh, there is a cultural Uh difference. And so all of a sudden people are arguing or fighting about something. It doesn't happen often, but when it does, you know, it requires us to go in and mediate between the two or that match breaks. And then the au pair has to find another family or go home. So it's pretty important. Mm. And then once I started doing that, I realized, wow, I really enjoy this type of work. And so I got certified. And in 2016, I started my own business. And that's that's how I got here. <laughs> well, you mentioned that you're an actress and a director. And you also mentioned you're dealing with people from other countries. You kind of married that together because you were acting and directing not here in America. <laughs> well, what, wait, what do you mean not here in America? Well, weren't you doing it in Czechoslovakia? Oh, yeah, that's right. That, that was... A- <laughs> I forgot that little minor point there. Yes, I spent three years in the Czech Republic. I was teaching English through drama. So I was, yeah, so that was a lot of fun. And I I became fluent in Czech. Nice. Well, I'm actually, and this is a true story. I am, I am missing an improv class tonight to, to do this interview. So I, I, I'm right there with you on, on the acting thing. It's, it comes in hand in every way, shape or form, right? It really does. It totally does. Yeah. And you know, when you look at like, Oh, I don't know. When I when I first started doing sales, I was like, "Oh man, acting. This is you know, like so many of the things that you learn in that come into play." And then with improv, it's like thinking on your feet, coming up with new things, and and so yeah, it it totally works to uh, start a business like that. But also on the on the mediation front and the negotiating front as well. Greg, maybe you need to take some acting lessons. That'll help you out with. Uh, uh, the new media company. With my mediation negotiation. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want, let me just tell you a little bit about how the acting actually ties into mediation and negotiation. So okay. when you are studying acting, right? No, not just like, oh, let me be in a play, but actually doing studio acting training, you are learning to read other people's emotions. It's very, very mm. difficult mm-hmm. because emotions are very fleeting. So you could chuckle one minute and be serious the next, right? So it's moving very quickly. And so... You learn in acting training to read those emotions. And we do a lot of training and exercises. So I take that skill that I learned directly into my mediation and negotiation because I'm trying to read exactly what's happening with the other side, like moment by moment. That's what's so interesting about the mediation role is you are having to pick up on both sides and not just what they're saying, but what they mean by what they're saying and translate that. Because from you know my experience with, with mediation, it seems like parties can be totally agreeing on something, but they're saying it differently. And you need that in a way, that translator in the middle to, to say, no, you guys are saying the same thing. It's this and this. And to kind of make that translation from you know the same language to same language, but just the way that they're saying it. And I, I would think that that also kind of goes back to the whole acting thing, right? Of like, just you're reading emotions from both sides. So it's, it's, that's a terrific segue for careers for you. Yeah. But I mean, what you're talking about is, so this is what I, how I see things. I see things that everyone has a filter and you especially have those filters when people are close to you. So your spouse, Mm. your children, your close colleagues, everyone has a filter. So when that person is speaking to you, you are getting information through the filter that you yourself have put into place. So if you think someone is an annoying human being, when they're talking to you, you have the annoying filter 
in front of you and everything, uh. and then you're picking up and you're saying, oh yeah, that's annoying and that's annoying too and that's annoying, right? Or you might think like, oh, this person doesn't like me. If Greg, if I think to myself, Greg, you don't like me, then when we're discussing things, I'm going to be listening for every little thing that's going to prove that you don't like me. All right. So that's that filter that people talk to each other. So when you're saying in mediation, people might be saying the same things, but they're not hearing each other. It's because both people have a filter. So when I come in and I repeat back what I'm hearing, like, let's say the two of you are talking and I say, Russ, this is what I'm hearing you say. Greg will hear it differently because it's coming from my mouth. It's coming from me. And he doesn't have that filter that he has for you. You know, it's funny because when you say filter, I hear baggage. (laughs) (laughs) Same thing, right? (laughs) Right. (laughs) It sounds, you know, we're saying the same things, but we have different words for it. I hear baggage. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to, uh, Greg, sorry, I'm going to jump in. I'm, I'm taking over this. And now I'm, I'm going to be the, uh, you're going to have to mediate between Greg and I during this because I've, I've got <laughs> just a follow up for you on that. Can I just negotiate one question out of this interview? We'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. Okay. No. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> no. Uh, okay. So if, if we're saying that there's a filter out there, if somebody, you know, you, you, you put on that, oh, uh, you know, this person's annoying filter. How do you get past that filter on either side of that with, without the mediator? Like, how, how do you how do you do that? That's a really good question. It's really difficult, it's, particularly if you live with someone, right? Because you see them every day, every day, every day. And so, you first of all, here's number one. Number one, you have to be aware that you have that filter, right? I think that's a huge thing because if as long as you're not aware and you go around thinking that person does not like me, then all you're going to do all day long is pick up cues that prove to you that um, Mm. they don't like you. And furthermore, you will start to behave in ways subconsciously that make them not like you because you have that filter on, right? That someone doesn't like me. So then I may start to behave in very, Mm -hmm. very subtle ways from my subconscious. And so it's sort of like self-fulfilling prophecy, right? And so the number one thing is to notice what kind of filter am I having with each of the people that I'm coming in touch with or come into contact with and think about that and then really actively try to fight against that. So that filter is almost like, you know, we talk a lot about in mediation bias. Well, that filter is your bias, right? You Mm. have a certain bias against everyone or even for there's something called confirmation bias or similarity bias. So there's biases for and against, you know, people have a tendency to gravitate towards people who look like them or maybe are in the same profession as they are or maybe are the same ethnicity. Right. So that's similarity bias. So you have to be aware that both of those things exist, both positive and negatives. So as a mediator, how do you make people aware of kind of themselves when you can kind of tell they really aren't self-aware in the situation you know, and you think it'll be helpful to the negotiation or the mediation to kind of bring it up to them. How, how do you, you know, what's the technique of tactfully doing that? So I really am a firm believer in calling out the elephant in the room, as I like to say. And so let's say you and I are talking, let's say I'm trying to close business with you and you're hesitating somewhat. Instead of talking around that hesitation and trying to convince you why you need to use me and I start talking more and more and more. And by the way, if any of your listeners are doing that, just know you're doing it wrong. 
You need to be talking less or not talking at all. And so what you want to do is, I, you know, you want to call it out. And I might say, Greg, it seems like you're hesitating to sign up with me, right? Or it seems mm -hmm. like you're not wanting to do this work at all. So you want to call it out because guess what? Just because you're not calling it out does not make it not exist. It still exists, right? So Greg's hesitation still exists, whether I call it out or not, whether he calls it out or not, it's still there. He knows it's there. I see it's there and we're just not talking about it. And so once you actually bring it up, that is like opening a door to a whole new room. So once mm -hmm. I say to you, Greg, it sounds like you're, you know, that you're interested in working with me, but you're hesitating. Then all of a sudden he's going to say, yeah, I'm hesitating because, and then here we go. We're in another room and we're starting another conversation. So it's really wonderful. Most of the time people do not want to open that door. So everyone is aware of this elephant in the room. No one is saying anything and no one wants to open the door. So suddenly they feel like they're at an impasse in the conversation. And they're feeling like, oh, I don't know where to go with this sales conversation. They're, they're not saying yes. I can't make them say yes. I'm talking more and more and more. I don't know what to do. I don't know when I should stop talking, right? And so what you should do instead of talk is ask questions. So if you ask questions, they will give you the answers and then it will lead to a conversation. And a lot of times you'll find out why they're hesitating. And then guess what happens after that? The real negotiation. It starts uh -huh. there. Right. Because maybe mm -hmm. they they were thinking, oh, well, I, I really want to, but I can't afford it. But they don't want to say so. But when you make the space to allow them to say it by saying you're hesitating, they say, well, I'm hesitating because I really want to do it, but I don't have the money. All of a sudden I can say, how about can we work out a deal? Like now I'm going to introduce time and money. When you have time and money, now we're negotiating time and money. So I can say, hey, how about you pay the same amount, but I let you pay it over 12 months instead of one lump sum now. Right. So you want to be able to introduce multiple things. That's a little bit more. I'm jumping a little bit ahead of myself. But for negotiations, you want to be able to have more than one thing to negotiate. If you only have one thing, you're going to be hard pressed to get to an agreement. But if you can introduce at minimum a second issue, a second thing to bargain with, you're more likely to get to a close. I so how in like in, in Greg's situation in, you know, meeting these new media people and you're trying to uh, negotiate with somebody that you, you don't really know and that doesn't want to create that relationship. I, I want to get into that a little bit. But first, we got to take a short break. We'll be right back with more DIY for Business. And thanks for listening and subscribing to DIY for Business. It's Russ and Greg with you. We are talking about mediation. We're talking about negotiating. And we just got into this negotiation thing. Now, early in the episode, Greg was talking about some new media relationships uh, that he's been building. But it's brand new people. And he's not really, you know familiar with them. And he's been negotiating with people that have been familiar with him for a long time. I think we've all been in this boat where we have somebody new. We're, we're used to one thing. We have somebody new and now it's a whole new ball game that we got to try to figure out. I want to get to, I want to get into that a little bit and, and, and talk about that when people aren't really willing to open up and they just kind of want to keep it more just business, you know, like how do you do that 
style of negotiation. Sure. So on the one hand, it's fabulous to be able to build rapport because you will get further, you'll get better deals. So definitely uh-huh. continue to build that rapport as much as you can, Greg. However, if people are like, no, we just want this to be transactional. I don't have time to chit chat with you. Then what I would recommend is that you do your homework and prepare before you go in. And what does that mean? Well, you should think of all the different things that you can potentially bargain What are some of the things that you want beyond just the contract, right? What are the different things in the contract? What can you ask for? What things are non-negotiable? What things are negotiable? What are some of the things that they may say to you so that you can at least create a script in your mind about how you would respond if they said this, 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 or this? Right. So you kind of have to use your imagination a little bit. So there, uh, Russ, your your improv can come in handy there. Um, (laughs) And so, you know, if let's say the two of you even role play it. A lot of times if it's a difficult negotiation, I highly recommend role playing it with someone else, because once you sort of like gone through the motions of saying the words at least one time, you have now rehearsed it one time more than everyone else has, because most people Mm. do not rehearse it. And as you know. Russ, when you're doing theater or you're doing improv, like practicing, even practicing an improv, suddenly you're going to get better the second time. And so if you're going to go to do a difficult negotiation because they're new, because they don't know you, prepare, 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 prepare what you want to negotiate and maybe even role play it before going in there. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that I try to accomplish in my negotiations is trying to make both parties feel like it's a win-win. And what I feel that, you know, what happens in a lot of negotiations is, you know, one side will come in, this is what I want, but they don't really think about what the other side wants. And when you're not thinking of of it from both sides, sometimes there's a miss and there's opportunities missed when when you don't understand that, hey, the other side has to feel like they're getting something out of the negotiation as well. So how do you feel about that, Alice? Absolutely. 100% true. You need to think about the other sides. That's the other part of the preparation is to put yourself in the other person's shoes and try to figure out what do they want, right? What are their wants? Now, in some instances, you are able to have two meetings where you can go in and just do a sort of a... Um, investigatory meeting where you ask a lot of questions, you know, what is it that you want in the partnership? What's your ideal scenario? What are the things, you know, you know, ask these questions so that when you go and actually do the real negotiation in the second meeting, you're much better prepared. So if at all possible in business, see if you can do an intro call where you ask a lot of questions. What are the needs or, or what are the ideal situations? You know, if, I'm not sure if they're selling or you're buying or what the deal is, but you want to figure out what it is that they want ideally and then put that up against yours. And then in interest-based negotiations, that's when you all look at the interests of every party. What are your actual interests? And then you compare those and usually there is some overlap. And once you go from that overlap, then you can come up with something that works for everyone. If you go from positions, it's just basically saying, I want this and you want that and let's fight, right? (laughs) Interest base is saying like, hey, you know, like for example, um, uh, you're saying you had children. 
And so when you're talking about kids, you might say, what you might say, okay, I'm going to give you an example. So let's say one parent wants one kid to go to school A and the other one wants them to go to school B. And so all you can do is fight about that. You can just fight and fight and fight. However, if you talk about interests, you will say, we want the kids to go to school where there's a good uh, sports department. We want the kids to go to school where the academics are really good. Uh, we want to get them to go to school that is less than 10 miles away from our house. Right. So once you start digging down into the interests, you might end up picking like a third school because that third school will meet both of your interests and neither A nor B school meets either person's interests. Right. Or both parties. Does that make sense? I was thinking you should just have two kids. <laughs> send, send one to each. <laughs> you know, dig, digging in uh, into the interests, I think is is really it's about it's about understanding the other person, right? It's about getting to to see that other side, so that when you go in, you can um, like go in in informed and 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 think about like we we've done this in um, and now now I'm talking acting, but in improv there were there were scenes where we would just play around where like, you know, the emotions are high on both sides. And then the improv, you know, coach would say switch. And then all of a sudden you have to switch, you know, like emotions from one side to the other. It's like, I'm really happy. I'm really angry. Now you're really angry. You're really happy. It's like, it's an interesting kind of thing to do. And if you think about that and, and when you're, I guess, negotiating or uh, looking at a situation, um, if you think about that and, and you kind of think in your head, like switch, like what is that other person thinking? What is that? But I guess then that goes back to the bias thing, right? Like where, okay, well now I'm thinking that they're thinking. That, so it's so much better just to ask. Right? Yeah. Like it goes back to that of like, ask the questions because you're going to get down and to, to what the actual reasons are behind that decision and why they're taking that particular position. Exactly, exactly. But also, you don't want to only know what they want. People really need to think about what they themselves want. And believe it or not, not everyone does that. People right. might think about a position and they're like, yeah. well, we want this. Like, we want a, we want a good contract. Then you go in and, and then you haven't defined for yourself what is a good contract, right? right? Or right. I want what a good price. What does a good price mean? And, right. and what is your, like, range? What is the lowest amount that you're willing to go for, right? So people don't define these things before mm -hmm. going into negotiation. Then when they're floundering in the negotiation, they're thinking like, A, I'm uncomfortable. B, I don't know where to go from here. And it's because they did not prepare themselves. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I went into uh, – it was buying, buying my last car that I bought. I went in. I want these features. <laughs> you know, I want to spend this much. And I will pay, you know, like for this long, <laughs> you know, like these are the things I set all my parameters and I had those like checked off and I ended up almost exactly on those parameters by the time I was done with the negotiation, because I think I was really clear in my own mind of, of what I wanted and what I was willing to settle for. That's a little bit easier with a car. I, I know. I know. Greg's got some stuff he wants to get into, but I keep interrupting him. I'm, I'm taking. A well, I was just Greg. curious. Like when you go into a negotiation and you get almost exactly what you're asking for, do you ever wonder, should I've asked for more? Ah, ooh, that's a good one. Okay, all right, you you you, you win. We're gonna talk about that <laughs> <laughs> when we get back.
and we're back with DIY for Business, heard on the Best Business Network. You can find our shows on thebestbusinessnetwork.com, on Electricast Media. And today we're talking to Alice Shakina, the founder of Shakina Mediation and Arbitration. And before we went to break, we figured out that Russ probably got ripped off on his last car. <laughs> I definitely did. <laughs> because he went in with a set of parameters and he walked out with exactly the set of parameters, no negotiation. They just gave it to him. I just got to know. They were willing to go lower, Russ. I just got to know they were. <laughs> I'm sure they were. <laughs> you know, I totally How do you feel up. about this? What happens when you go in with a, an idea of what you want and it's just too easy? <laughs> Well, first of all, to be fair, we don't know like what the negotiation looked like for Russ. So it's possible that he negotiated very hard to get exactly what he wanted. But if he just walked in and said, this is the price I want, and then they gave it to him, then then he lost out for sure. <laughs> well, well I, I will tell you, there were, there were th- two different dealerships. No, actually three different dealerships involved in about eight hours. So <laughs> I worked pretty hard for it. <laughs> Great. Now, now I'm proud of you, Russ. Now yeah, I feel nice. good. Now nice. I feel good. But that's just one. I mean, how do we know that when somebody accepts our deal, when somebody accepts the negotiation, when somebody says yes, isn't it like, oh, well, maybe I should have asked for more. <laughs> you know, or maybe you should, I should have asked for something different. How, how do you know what's right to ask for? Well, you should do your your homework, right? So here, I'm going to ask. Um, I'm going to ask you a few questions, Russ. For example, did you okay. go and research how much everyone's paying for? what the market rate was, what it could go for if it was sold like six months ago and now it's off the lot and you're going to mm-hmm. buy it used. Like, what does that drop to? Like, did you do all of that research prior to going in to negotiate? Yeah, what, I did actually. So I, what I did was I went to, uh, I checked Blue Book Value. I checked other dealerships. I checked not just local dealerships, but basically the, around the whole Bay Area. And then I went to some of the online places like the Shift or whatever it was that where you can buy cars online grabbed all of those prices. And I'm, I'm a total geek when it comes to data. I love spreadsheets. So I actually create a spreadsheet. No, that's excellent. <laughs> and then I threw in the interest rates and whatnot to calculate out how much over time and all that crazy stuff. So I, I, I did do a lot of research. So I felt really good about my price. And I knew that at least one of the dealers in the Bay Area, <laughs> I'm in the Bay Area, um, would accept this rate. So I, I had to, you know, I, I felt like one of them would at least. Okay, great. And then how much lower than the asking price did you offer? Mm. Uh, that I don't remember exactly, but uh, it was thousands. It wasn't hundreds. So it was, it was it was significant. And when you made that offer, was that the offer that you wanted or did you go significantly lower than what you wanted? Mm, I went a little lower. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah I went lower than, than So you want to do that, right? So you want to either go higher or lower, depending on which side you are on mm-hmm. um, when you're negotiating, because you want to give yourself room to negotiate. Because if you went in and you just asked for the amount you wanted, and then they're still in negotiation mode, you're going to go up. You're going to go higher right. than the amount you want or, you know, vice versa if you're selling, right? So you always want to leave yourself room to negotiate. That means if you are trying to get it low, go lower than what you want. And so the idea is that you negotiate back and forth and back and forth and back and forth until you get to the a number that you want. So buy mm-hmm. yourself some space. And if you're on right. the high end, you want to bid significantly higher 
so that you can go back and forth and back and forth and eventually get back down to the place. So you always want to go more than what you want. Don't ever just ask for what you want or even counter at what you want. You want to, and then here's another thing is that the negotiation strategy is that the biggest steps, the biggest concessions when you're counter offering the first one or second one are the biggest. And then your steps get smaller and smaller and smaller. And so when the other side is reading, what they're reading is you're getting close to your final offer. And the same thing happens to the other side. When they are making their counter offers, you should know when they're getting close to their end because now right. their counters are getting smaller and smaller and smaller. That gotcha. is great advice. I love that advice, Alice. Uh, I'm going to switch gears a little bit because I really want to ask you this question. Um, I studied mediation in college. It was actually one of my degrees. And you know, one of the things that we were taught is kind of the role of the mediator in a dispute. And, but I never got to practice it, right? I, I was never a professional mediator. So I want to ask you as a professional mediator, what do you, what are you trying to accomplish in a dispute? So obviously I'm trying to get them to a mutual agreement or resolution, but really I want everyone to hear each other right? I want them to hear one another. They have not been hearing one another to this point for a few reasons. One, in workplace environments, usually people have built up huge walls. So they are no longer speaking to each other, no longer communicating because someone is so upset or uh, uncomfortable or angry that they just no longer speak to the other person. And then it just sort of like this giant wall of silence grows. And so what happens in your silo is you start creating all kinds of crazy stories about the other side that you never get a chance to verify because you've now built yourself into a fortress and each person is living in their own fortress thinking of creative stories about the other party without ever, you know, checking in with reality, right? Or there's another one where, you know, I do a lot of divorce mediations. Well, guess what's going on? They might be fighting and fighting and fighting. What happens when you fight? You don't listen. You are talking and talking and over-talking. And so no one is listening. So in both of those instances, people have not heard each other at all. And so what I want to do is I want to make sure that they actually hear each other and I have some strategies that I use. And so they're able to hear one another. And when you actually hear somebody else for the first time, it's quite shocking and it changes <laughs> your perspective. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I've, I've got to jump in here with this one. I know we're, we're a business show, but if you're mediating between people that are getting a divorce and now they're hearing each other for the first time, have you ever had it where the divorce doesn't happen? No, that actually has not happened. Okay. I thought it might happen, <laughs> but I did have one where uh, they were trying to decide whether they're going to stay together or, or, you know, have a divorce. And then at the end of the mediation, they learn stuff about each other that they're like, I think we need to have a divorce. <laughs> <laughs> it's gone the other way. Okay. <laughs> So, yeah. I think that you know a lot of our uh, a lot of our listeners are business owners, and I'd love for you to kind of explain to them what the advantages are of a mediation versus you know a lawsuit going to court. Well, you know, here's the thing: I would love your business owners to understand that mediation is there for them if they're not getting along with their business partners. They do not need mm -hmm. to consider like, oh, we need to break up. We're not getting along or, or we have different visions. Go through mediation 
because it's a way for a third party objective person to sit there and really have them hear each other out in a place that remains calm and collected and people aren't getting super emotional because typically in these instances, even in business partnerships, there's a lot of emotion, particularly when there's a lot of money involved or a lot of time and energy that someone has put into the business and suddenly it's not going the way they envisioned it would go. Suddenly there's a lot of emotion, as much emotion as a, a regular divorce, right? And so really, I don't think that many business owners realize that mediation exists for them but they can go to mediation to try to resolve their differences, talk through them, strategize, try to get back on the same page, or they can even have mediation for a business divorce, right? So that they can, the, so to, to your question, Greg, you said, you know, why would it be better than litigation? Because litigation basically takes the decision out of your own hands and puts them in the hands of a judge, right? Whereas if you go through mediation, you get 50% of the control of the outcome. Like, mm. why would you give that up? Why would you give up 50% of control to give it to a judge? A judge is a random human being, right? They don't know anything much better. They know the law better, but you know, about your business, they don't know anything about your business. So why are you going to let someone who doesn't know anything about your business make the final decisions about what's going to happen? It's much better if you could sit down and say, okay, let's hammer out a deal. This is not comfortable. I'm upset. You're upset. You know, we're, we, our dreams are falling apart, but it's so much better if you can like keep control, at least half of the control so that the outcome has your fingerprint on it. I, I like how you describe that. I've not heard mediation described in those exact words before with uh, I, I, <laughs> giving up 50% of the control and your fingerprints on the final decision. I love those, those terms of describing mediation. Yeah. Yeah, that is awesome. Now, who who decides if it's going to go to mediation or if it's going to go to litigation? So the parties decide. Mediation is a voluntary process, which means that all parties who are going to mediation must agree to mediate. Otherwise, it doesn't get to go to mediation, right? Because it's voluntary. The only time that mediation is not voluntary is if you're in litigation and a judge mandates it. If a judge mandates it, it's called mandatory mediation, and it is the only exception to the rule. All other gotcha. times, everyone has to agree to it, or it does not happen. And how do you pick a, a mediator? Like, if I feel like if people are fighting over things, they're going to fight about the mediator. They're going to fight about who they're going to pick, right? It's I mean, it's supposed to be fair and safe, right? But it, oh, you pick this person; it's not fair and safe. <laughs> you know, like, so how do you? Yeah. How does that get solved? There's a really good strategy that most lawyers. It's this very standard uh, in litigation: is that one side gets to pick the final three, and the other side gets to pick the last one. Ah. So you can say, and both sides, both of those options are fairly fair, right? So usually people are like, whatever you want, because do you want to be the person to pick the one or do you want to be the person to pick the three so that at least one of the ones that you've chosen gets in the mix, right? So both of those are good places to be. And so they just assign who's going to pick three and then who's going to be the last one. So help us, uh, you know, mediation is just one side of what you do. Arbitration is the other side of what you do. Help us understand when it's uh, correct to go mediation and when we should go arbitration. So arbitration, a lot of people are like, what is that? It's not at all like mediation. Arbitration is a private trial. So an arbitrator, what I am, is I'm a private judge. 
And so you hire me because you want to skip the long lines and the years and years of waiting to go to court. If you go to court right now in civil court, you can wait three to five years to get to see your your uh, your trial come up, right? And so if you're like, uh, I don't have five years to wait, <laughs> I need to do something else. Yeah. You go and you pay an arbitrator for arbitration. And so then the arbitrator hears the case. And again, both sides have to agree to arbitration. Both sides have to agree on who the arbitrator is. And then they listen to it. It's basically like a speedy trial. And then the court system will very rarely overturn it in an appeal because what they will say is, oh, Greg, you want to appeal this? But you already went outside and you went and hired an arbitrator. We're not going to appeal it because that was your decision to go out there. So very Mm. rarely, it's like 96% of arbitrated uh, judgments are not appealed. A very small percentage are appealed. So, yeah. So it's very different. If you want a judge, then you go get to an arbitrator. If you want a mediator, somebody who's a neutral party, you go to the mediator. Awesome. All right. Well, I feel like I feel like we've covered enough for like three shows, which is awesome because it's like three <laughs> shows in one. Uh, I, I feel like Alice. At some point, we're going to have to have you back to talk more about these. Uh, I would love topics. to come sure back. We've raised a bunch of questions here too for for folks. Uh, uh, listening, we're, we're going to hold you to that, Alice. We're going to have you back. <laughs> awesome. I have a lot more value for you guys to share with your audiences. <laughs> well, we're going to go ultimate tease people. Come exactly. on. You got, you yeah. got to keep, uh, you got to keep checking in at the best business network to find out when Alice is coming back for her uh, exactly. second appearance. <laughs> <laughs> See, Alice is actually trying to negotiate two more appearances. That's, that's where she really wants to land, but, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll figure that out. <laughs> But we got to figure out time, time and money. Over how long are these next two shows? How much is it going to cost? Yeah, we 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 got to talk. Yes, we got to talk. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and we got to figure out if the money's going to you or if it's coming to me. <laughs> oh, we already know that. <laughs> so, Alice, we want to tell people if if they're looking for a mediator, if they want more information, uh, you, you've got a blog, you've got some videos on your website. Tell us a little about your website. Yeah, ShakinaMediation.com is my website. I'm actually in the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area. So people can find me there. And if people are interested in negotiating and really leveling up their business acumen by being able to negotiate better, they can uh, sign up for one of my negotiation courses. I have a small group negotiation class. There's eight people. And guess what you do, Russ? You get to practice. Nice. <laughs> I, I thought it, it was going to be role play. <laughs> yes, it is role play. So it's just right. like it's just it's, like the improv, improv class. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> well, Alice, thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks a lot, Alice. That was a lot of fun. Thank you. Uh, and thank you for listening, subscribing, and reviewing DIY for Business, a part of the Best Business Network and Electrocast Media. The subjects that we cover on this podcast are selected with the goal of helping your podcast grow. All of the information provided is opinion-based, and you might want to consult a professional like Alice uh, to discuss your exact business situation. Greg and I want your company to succeed, and we are happy to take your questions. We'd also love to hear your suggestions for future episodes. If there's an area of your business where you need solid business advice or help, let us know. We might be able to build an entire episode 
around it and get your questions answered. You can reach out to us by sending us a direct message on Twitter or visiting our website at DIYforbusinesspodcast.com. Both of those links are available in the podcast description. Uh, we also love talking to business owners. So you know what? You can head over to our website and sign up to talk to us as well. We thank you for listening and subscribing to DIY for Business, where you are not alone. Hi, this is Megan Kane. And this is Jason Zook. And we're the hosts of Psychic Visions Podcast. Have you ever experienced deja vu or wonder what life after death is like? Or maybe you walked into an old building and got goosebumps or chills down your spine. Chances are you're having spiritual experiences without even realizing it. Our show will cover a variety of topics from astral projection to UFOs, manifestation, to the power of positive thinking and even healing energy. If this resonates with you, then this is your sign from the universe to check out our show. Find us where all podcasts are available. Psychic Visions, more than meets the eye. Electric Acid. The Geo Godfather Wars is an all-new podcast giving you the real talk on understanding how geopolitics impacts you and your world. Join your host, Barack Siner, and me, Leah Tedrow, each week as we unpack the complexities, strategies, and players running the world, and how those forces affect your everyday life and decisions, whether you know it or not. Available wherever you listen to your podcasts. See you there. Electric Ass. Cast.